culture is a squishy thing and it's hard to see and touch and hard to frame, but that group has to kind of come together. And if it's not the right people, we need to elevate more people to that position, have them be more out front and active and let their actions, behaviors set the tone for how we're going to do this collaboration, give first, you know, the book's full of this stuff, but that's where it's got to start. And then we can start building the rest of it on top of it. Welcome to Ecosystems for Change, where we co-author the playbook on transforming communities by amplifying the impact of changemakers around us. Whether you are an entrepreneur or otherwise changemaker yourself, a citizen who loves their community with a passion and wants to see it thrive, whether you are a mentor, investor, support organization, advisor, philanthropic funder, economic developer, or policymaker. Learn the practical tools and proven tactics of ecosystem builders from all around the world to better support the dreamers, doers, tinkerers, and makers in your community by taking a systems approach to social change. I'm your host, Annika Horn. Welcome to a bonus episode of Ecosystems for Change. I am here today with Chris Hively, who is a lifelong entrepreneur and investor who spent 40 years working as, for, and with entrepreneurs. Prior to becoming a successful startup community builder and advisor, Chris co-founded MapQuest, which sold to AOL for $1.2 billion. He currently serves as a managing director at the Startup Factory and is a highly thought-after public speaker. His first book, Built the Ford, Why Five Simple Lessons You Learned as a 10-Year-Old Can Set You Up for Startup Success, was inspired by his widely exclaimed TEDx talk in 2014. And the reason I have Chris on the show today is that he wrote a second book that with every page I turn just kept getting better and better and better. And why wouldn't I bring him on the show to share some of that goodness with us? So with that, Chris, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Annika. I can't wait for this next hour. Wonderful. Let's dive right in. First up, the world of ecosystem building is already full of lingo. So it was kind of refreshing to hear built the fort, taking us back to our childhood, a very different metaphor for the work that we're trying to do. Tell us a little bit more about how that came about and why building the fort is such a good analogy for what we're doing day in and day out. Well, that's a great place to start because the first question I ask people when I'm in front of an audience is raise your hand if you build a, built a fort. And whether it's an outside with wood that you found in the neighborhood or whether it's, you know, the chair upside down on the couch with the blanket and the broomstick, you know, 90 plus percent of people raise their hand. So it's a thought or a, or a memory that almost everyone has, um, which is fun to see that in the audience when you're a speaker. I think what really resonates with people and what I try to do in all of my work is simplify the complex, right? This world gets more and more complex every day. You know, we have so much information and stuff coming into our heads. I think that success is about simplifying that. And so the metaphor of saying, let's channel that 10 or 12 year old, let's think about how life was simpler then. So let's, I'll run the little exercise with you. All right. So Annika, you and I are neighbors. We're growing up. You're in, uh, maybe I'm in Germany with you or you're in uh, Pennsylvania with me and it's a summer day and I say, hey, Annika, you want to build a fort? And you say, of course, right? In about a nanosecond, right? Yeah. Well, the adult version of that is, 
hey, Annika, I got I got an idea for a podcast. I don't know if anybody will listen to it. You know, I don't even know if I have a microphone. I don't even know how to record a podcast. You know, it's probably not a good idea, right? That's the adult version of do you want yeah. to build a fort? And so at the end of the day, build a fort is just a metaphor for maybe a, a mindset for everyone to kind of, okay, how do we simplify things so we can get good stuff done and hopefully reach the goals that we have set for ourselves, our organization. So it's been probably 20 plus years in my brain, a guy named Marshall Clark, who I've worked with three or four times, a longtime friend, wrote all the original software with MapQuest, with a few other people. One of us came up with this idea of, all right, when we're going to build something new, a new startup, how are we going to build the fort? And mm -hmm. it's our way of like, all right, let's simplify all the crap and what do we need to get done and where are we going to find the wood or the blanket or the chair? What really resonated with me as I was reading your book was this idea of when you build a fort, you just kind of go for it and you bring other people along, other kids, and everybody kind of contributes what they have laying around. And then somehow you create this first thing. It's not a high rise. It's not a castle. But it fulfills the function of building the thing. And it's a lot of fun. And I was like, oh, yeah, I totally get that. When we try to build startup communities or ecosystems, that's really what it comes down to is bring the right people into the fold. Make sure everybody can contribute what they have access to or what they're really good at. And this first thing will be scrappy, but it's there. And then you can build from there. And that really, really resonated with me. That was awesome. Think about, go back to 10 or 12 years old building this fort, right? Like, first of all, it had to be done in about three to four days or else we got bored, right? And you probably, maybe a few months later, tore it down and rebuild it or added to it or changed something. Like, that's this whole iterative, experimental kind of thing we know as startups today. Well, your community is no different than your startup, right? Get something out there. Get that beta version as quickly as possible and then riff from there. And that's a heck of a lot more fun than overthinking things and planning and, you know, all this stuff that I think we sometimes waste our time with. Big time. And when you build a fort, you would never first form a committee and consult all the stakeholders and then decide who's going to be the leader. I love it because A, it forces us to be creative. B, it's a lot of fun. And C, what it made me realize was no two forts ever look alike, even if you have the same people. And that's something you say in the book is every startup community is vastly different. What was it? Don't compare your children. So don't compare your startup community. Right. Communities are like children. Don't compare. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Another thing that I really liked about this is that it fits neatly with some of the other literature that's out there. How does your field guide fit in with some of the other works that have emerged over the last few years? Sure. Well, I think my, my three favorites are Victor Wong's Rainforest. Yep. Um, which came out about the same time as Brad Feld's Startup Communities. Um, I enjoy both of them a lot. I've, I've been closer to Brad over the, over yep. the years, and I'll, I'm sure we'll get into that. So Startup Communities was my Bible in Raleigh-Durham 12 to 13 years ago, I think 2012. So about 10 years ago is when it came out. And then Startup Community Way, which is kind of his follow-up, which is about two years old now, Uh, written by he and Ian Hathaway. Ian worked for me at Techstars, and together we formed this kind of um, ecosystem development consulting practice inside Techstars. So as Startup Community Way was forming, we were going to do one big book, right? I was going to write a bunch of chapters on application and tactics and 
They were going to do, you know, the complex systems and the meta. And it just got too complicated. So we decided to split it up into two books. You know, there's a lot of me in Startup Community Way and there's a lot of them in the field guide. Yeah. But I do think, well, you know what I was thinking? I was thinking that I need to do a campaign that puts both book titles up and say, these are like peas and carrots, right? So I think they complement each other well. And in fact, Brad wrote, wrote the foreword for the book and said, these really should be done together. Thank you for not making Brad's book even longer. Because it, <laughs> as good as it is, man, it is, it is a dense read and it is a long read. So I actually like that you guys split it up. It's very dense. I see a lot of the parallels, but yours is so much more practice-driven. And here, go do these things. And here are 10 ideas for how you can find the people that you need to be talking to. It stands really well on its own. Well, frankly, to be honest with Yannicka, it's I'm not a science meta kind of guy. I'm more of like, let's get shit done kind of guy. So the good news is I did my part really well, and they did their part really well. But to answer your question, I think they complement each other well. I think so, too. Um, one thing we need to get straight before we dive into this conversation is one of the truths that you have in the book, which is the fact that startup communities are complex adaptive systems. I did an entire season on complex adaptive systems, and I know it's a mouthful, but it's really, really quintessential to understand how these startup communities work. And I think we need to understand how they work if we want to be effective in them. Can you tell me a little bit more about why we need to understand the dynamics in complex adaptive systems? And, and why, is this, why is this important to understand before we dive into the work? Yeah. So a risk to all the listeners is that it's going to be really hard for Annika and I to keep this tight in this section, but I will try <laughs> my best. Thank you. The way that I set up complex systems is to compare it to what most people are familiar with, is, which is a complicated system. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the juxtaposition between those two that really seems to resonate when I am explaining complex systems. So if I can take a second and say, well, a complex systems are things like sending a rocket to the moon. They're very hot, top down, hierarchical, large corporations, governments, universities are all typically a complicated system, right? There's crisp handoffs, reverse engineering, command and control, managers who manage people. You send me this report. I roll up five reports to get my summary. You know, I'm painting a picture here and, you know, obviously no judgment. There's really good big companies. And, you know, like, again, this is a, a very stable and probably one of the longest running type of systems that we have, at least in industrial America and the world. Now, to juxtapose that, which when leaders, either assigned or signing up, I call them usually power brokers in your community who are now motivated some for some reason. They're the president of the chamber. They're head of economic development. Um, you know, maybe they're coming out of a corporation and they say, all right, I want to help, you know, build more startups and I want to be part of the startup community. It's when they bring that complicated mindset to a startup community building where things break. And again, no judgment. These are the muscles they've honed and you know managed and been extremely successful over. So back to your question, why complex systems is that they're structured differently. Mm -hmm. And the easiest example I can give to the people that care about this stuff is that the very people that you're trying to serve 
entrepreneurs are rule breakers. They abhor structure. They, they love the chaos. They don't love the organization and the structure, right? And so complex systems are much looser. They're, they're closer on the continuum to more like chaotic systems, right? And so in that way, they have to be looked at differently. And the second thing I always tell people is that the one thing that's really part of our startup community ecosystem, different than other ecosystems are, we all wear different hats. Some days I'm an investor. Some days I'm a founder. Some days I'm a community builder. Sometimes I'm an author, right? Or a media or a storyteller. And sometimes I'm uh, a consultant for a government entity. That's why it's difficult to bring a complicated mindset to this thing. It's because the structure doesn't work. And in fact, it actually makes things worse, usually pissing off the founders, right? You you can't assign them a task. You can't tell them what to do, right? And so um, maybe I'll stop and pause there and let you dig in from there. You know, what I kept thinking back on is a complicated system is a piece of furniture from Ikea. You have the, all the pieces and you have your steps one through 93B. And no matter who you hand those instructions to, more or less, the outcome should be the same. Whereas a complex adaptive system is building the fort. It is impacted by the weather, by who's available that day and what's laying around in their basements. And that's much more representative of how you build a fort and how you build a startup community. It just takes a different mindset. Yeah, if you need one more overly simplistic way of viewing this, the example <laughs> that I love about complex systems is raising a child. Mm-hmm. And to anybody who has multiple children or has come from a family with brothers and sisters know that yeah. the same house, the same food, the same car, the same parents, the same school, the same church, the same everything. And yet two children end up completely different. And your ability to actually create a predictable outcome for any one of those is impossible. So apply that metaphor to, to the work of startup community building. And here's the good news. I've done this talk all over the world. About half the people in the room, you can see their shoulders visibly relax. Like, you mean I don't have to manage myself to an outcome? Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. you can't. So given that you can't, don't. And it's not your responsibility. You have a role to play, but it's not your 100% responsibility. And they relax. That's the message you and I, right, are trying to sell. Absolutely. I think people can at first be disappointed, but then it's actually a relief to know that you play such a tiny role in a complex adaptive system. And even if you play a bigger one, it may or may not impact the overall outcome because there's so many other factors at play, which is kind of a relief not to take ourselves too seriously. (laughs) Always. Hey. I don't want to distract you from this awesome conversation, but I do want to let you know that I curate a fortnightly newsletter with resources, events, and behind-the-scenes insights into the show. I would love to pop into your inbox every two weeks to hand-deliver those goodies. Sign up through the link in the show notes, and now back to the show. Chris, I am currently helping build the entrepreneurial ecosystem here in the Shenandoah Valley. And I found it really helpful to see those five building principles from identifying all actors to partners to assessing and leveraging assets, which I think is super important, applying a short-term mindset, and then eventually building the fort. 
Can you tell us a little bit more about those five principles if we start with identify all actors? Yeah, well, the, the first thing many of us do is we put our heads down and try to figure out all the answers. Mm -hmm. Well, we just got done talking about there's not an outcome or an answer you can come up with. Yeah. All right. So having relief from that, then the first thing you need to do is, is insert yourself into this community and find out what's going on. And the best way to do that is to meet with people. And the story that I tell in the book, and I've told this in actually both my books, is that when I started my ecosystem building, I didn't know I was doing it at the time, by the way, 12, 13 years ago in Raleigh-Durham, I met with 275 people in five months. No exaggeration, coffee, lunch, end of day, frosty beverage meeting. Eventually, I started taking Fridays off so I could figure out what the heck I had just done the last four days and to do my yeah. follow-ups. But- I got to tell you, Annika, I learned so much. I mean, like you can kind of read the stuff and the reports and talk to a couple stakeholders. It's not good enough. So you got to go talk to as many of the actors as possible and be diverse about it, right? Not just do five, but do, you know, 20s and 30s and 50s. Yeah. Kind of like customer discovery, isn't it? It's something we call listening tours where we try to set out into different regions and talk to First and foremost, entrepreneurs, because they are who we're trying to serve, but also what are economic developers saying? What are the town managers saying? What are the small business bankers telling us about what's going on? And get as, get as much insight as you can from different parts of the ecosystem. Yeah. When I was doing this as a business within Techstars and we had 12 people in 15 different cities we were working in, we called it 100 interviews in 100 days. And actually, in more, a little bit more mature, less nascent, I would say 100 founders in 100 days because they all wow. want you to go talk to the stakeholders. And I kept saying, I'll get to them. I want to talk to the founders first. Now, some of them I did in groups of three and four and made it a little easier. But yeah, I, I probably have interviewed over 500 founders in that, in that work personally, sat down one-on-one and boy, you within the first 10 founders, you get a feel of exactly what's happening in the ecosystem, what's working and what's broken. <laughs> And fun fact, that's where you and I met in person for the first time when you were doing this discovery in Richmond, Virginia, which is where I was working back in the day. Yeah, that was my first one. And boy, you know, talk about figuring things out. That was <laughs> that was amazing. I, I desperately want to go back someday and like almost re-interview everyone five, six years later. I think that might make for a good book. I did five pilots in 2017 and I always thought, That'd be interesting if I went back and did a redo five, six years later and just found out what the arc, what the change has been, if anything, and or what's not changed. 100%. I had um, at least two people from the Richmond ecosystem on this show, and a common thread was Larkin, Garby, and Todd Knuckles have both been there for so many years, and they really can tell that arc of the last 10, 15 years and tell you what has happened since then, which is... yeah. Phenomenal. It's totally. really great to see. The next building principle is partner. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, every one of your listeners is awesome and powerful and can get a lot of things done. But there's still only 24 hours in a day. There's yep. still only your experiences and your motivation and your energy. And at the end of the day, there's so many different actors and there's different entities representing those actors that to try to do it alone is just kind of silly. That's not to take anything away from, I like every one of your personal motivations and your hard work. You know, the classic 
thought of a complex system is that it's a group of parts. And if those parts remain as parts and not part of a whole, and we all know like the whole is bigger than the sum of the parts, I actually say in community building, it's actually worse. So after those 275 interviews I did, people started asking me, like, oh, I know you've talked to everyone. What did you see? What did you observe? And I said, before I knew complex systems and kind of emergent state and all that kind of stuff, I said, we're slightly less than the sum of our parts. Mm. And so what happens is with our best of intent and sticking your head down and doing our, focusing on just our part, you know, not just one and one and one doesn't equal three, not one and one and one. And we want it to equal five. The whole is bigger than the sum of the parts, but one and one and one is equals 2.1. Right. And so that's limiting. That's so why do you partner with individuals, friends, new friends, professionals, entities, ESOs? How do you bring people together? You can't get to this emergent state, which is the whole is greater than the sum of the parts without collaboration and partnering with people. You just can't get there. And ecosystem building is a team sport. You shouldn't be out there doing it on your own. You're going to burn out and your impact is not as great as it could be if you partnered up with other people and institutions. Yes, and. And frankly, by the way, if you're only trying to do it yourself, you know, we don't connect well with everyone. Just that's mm -mm. our personalities, human nature. You know, you got to have a team doing this. And there's things that I'm good at that, and things I hate. Like once things become operational, I am out. Typical builder. Right? So you don't want me being the COO of anything, you know? It's a good thing to know about yourself, Chris. Mm -hmm. um, the third point is as assess and leverage assets. Tell me a little bit more because we already talked about you got to identify all the actors. How is this one different? Well, the nice part is these all kind of build on themselves. So as you're out talking to lots of people, mm -hmm. finding some partners or you're finding some events. I mean, every community has some events that are happening a coffee, a happy hour, a meetup here or there. Um, but you're going to kind of figure out things and you're going to start seeing gaps. And if you're talking to enough founders, like I did in Richmond and others, you're going to find out like what's not working. And that's your first chance to go, hey, am I motivated to kind of figure out how to change that or augment that or fix that? or And who can I lean on to maybe do it together with? So what's amazing is that every community has a bunch of assets whether it's college and university instructors, mm -hmm. current, you know, high growth startups that can be inspiration for brand new founders. So these are all assets to be kind of organized, deployed, connected um, for the greater whole. And so don't go in there and run someone other city's playbook because A, it probably won't work. But B, why just repeat things that may already be doing, working well in your community? And Why don't you find the gaps and the things that are needed that someone hasn't figured out how to fulfill yet? How do you think about making that visible? The gaps, the assets, is it, are you a spreadsheet kind of guy, post-its that you roll out every time you come into a meeting? How does that work? Yeah, I'm a spreadsheet guy. I think it's the most amazing tool built in the <laughs> last hundred years. Um, my family and others, you know, laugh at me. And in fact, uh, My father's passed away, but I, you know, I have a big group of stuff of his that he had. And he literally had the like 11 by 17 paper with line spreadsheet. That's just my tool. But um, 
you know, in doing the work that we built at Techstars, you know, we said we weren't going to build anything until we did this for a year. We tried to follow mm-hmm. the, lean, the lean playbook. So I built a lot of spreadsheets and, you know, spreadsheets can be shared and, you know, Google Docs, it makes it makes it really easy. And so um, and then usually when I would do just three months of an audit and figuring things out, I know we'll get to the game plan in a second, but I just made all those documents transparent to anybody, you know, made that shared folder open. Um, I typically did a readout after the three months. Yeah. I made that be public. It's one of, actually one of the biggest things I regret about Richmond is I did the readout in a room of 20 people. And afterwards I figured out that's not, that wasn't good enough. So everywhere else, Annika, that I did that, we made that a public event um, cool. with hundreds of people and anybody who wanted to come and listen. What we figured out is that um, there's a line that Brad uses for Foundry, his, you know, his VC firm, which is um, that I've stolen, which is honest feedback delivered kindly. Mm-hmm. And so I opened up every, you know, I think the one in Cleveland is online somewhere. And, you know, I called out various entities and, and said, listen, we, you got to do a better job and this has got to change. So here's my thoughts. Everyone gets to hear the same words at the same time. Yes. There's no dilution. And so um, anyway, I'm off on a rant here, but I'll let you pull me back. <laughs> um, apply a short-term mindset. We're always told we're supposed to take a 20, 30, 40-year mindset when it comes to ecosystem building. This one sounds contrary. Tell us why this matters in this context. Yeah, so it's both, right? Not unlike a startup. So when I, one of my favorite things to work with a startup on is on their pitch, mm-hmm. right? And when I, when I, they say, well, like, you know, how much vision and how much, you know, nuts and bolts. And I'm like, 75% nuts and bolts, 25% vision. Okay. If you're all vision, nothing gets done. Yep. If you're just heads down nuts and bolts, you sometimes fail to see the bigger picture or have a North star and the North star can change and it's going to adapt. So the urgency of today and the patience for the long term. I agree. I mean, this is what every startup feels with. So you as a community builder should do the same darn thing, right? The same mindset. So both is the answer. Just weighted with start getting things done. Start smashing people together. Start experimenting and iterating and, and figure out what seems to be working and do more of that. I mean, that's the nature of complex systems. It's very experimental. Try things. Um, so that's that short-term approach. And I'm doing this because of most of the people that I find that are getting interested in community building, have this long-term dream, but not mm-hmm. really sure what the hell do I do tomorrow? So I, that was that was me just trying to pull that a little bit closer to the get shit done mindset. I think it's really great because you say in the book, you know, this is what builds momentum. And I think that's what you need more than anything when you start out on this is get people excited, follow up and just just start doing things. It will teach you so much more than like you said earlier, than any report you could possibly read. Thank you so much for using the word momentum. It's my favorite word in terms <laughs> of community building. Momentum comes in like, it's the accumulation of all these little things going on. And each of those things individually may not be something, but I've seen it work firsthand when, especially with good storytelling, where all of a sudden people start going like, wow, we got some stuff going on. Like, yeah. you know, that event that usually had 15 or 20 people, it's now 40 to 50. Like, when did that happen? That's momentum, right? That breeds confidence. Confidence is contagious. 
And the next thing you know, like things are starting to work. The flywheel's spinning without you actually having to prime it anymore. Absolutely. And there's no amount of thinking or planning or strategizing that can create that that sense within people, that excitement, that enthusiasm for, oh, things are actually happening and I want to go and I want to be part of it. So, Yeah. By the way, about half the economic development folks just heard you, so, heard you say no planning and they're just, they're like shaking in their chairs right now. Earmuffs. Sorry, yeah. economic developers. Totally. You can come back for step number five, which is yeah. actually build the fort. So the key for building the fort so in my first book, I, I you know rolled Nike and said, just do it. And I think we, you and I have hit that pretty hard so far. But there's a little added extra piece that's specific to community building, which is not asking permission or waiting for perfect data. Yep. Because neither, the second one doesn't exist and the first one, you don't need permission to, to play a role. And in fact, if you're in a place that requires permission, then actually you need a revolution, not an evolution, right? It's time for you to go in with Thor's hammer and start breaking stuff up because um, that's not the way this works. So don't have this, I need permission. I need more data. I, you know, That's the part of just do it in terms of community building that I'm trying to really instill here. I had a really good conversation with Rick Tarosi out of Portland, Oregon, who has obviously been an ecosystem builder for a long time, even though he doesn't want to be called that. And he said, I don't want people to wait just because I've been doing this here for a long time. I need you all to do it too. There is so much work to be done. There is no hierarchy here. There is no permission slip for anyone. Please, for the love of God, just just start doing things. And the, the more, the better. And I totally agree with that. That's a perfect example. Even in a good community with a good person, as opposed to kind of a bad actor requiring permission. I mean, Rick's yeah. obviously not that, but even in that, he's saying, don't, you know, sorry to geek out for a second. We talk about like hierarchies and we don't want hierarchical stuff. And we talk about that the goal is more of a networked structure. Mm -hmm. By the way, I think people are nodes in the network, not entities. Okay. I, I, I'm Chris Hively, not I work for Techstars, Chris Hively, right? Or whatever, or I'm from Raleigh. Like entities aren't, um, nodes. People are nodes. People connect with people, not with entities. What I sometimes see in between that migration is what I call a hub and spoke model. And hubs are not good when you have to go through something or someone to get to someone else, right? The network should be fluid and change when you need it. And so a lot of times, by the way, fair warning that as you get going, your entrepreneurial support organization starts to become so powerful that they become the hub. And then everyone looks to them to get things done as opposed yep. to being able to stand up and say, I'll, I'll handle this one. I'm going to dive into this. So I agree. I do want to move on to frameworks. And before everyone shuts down and says, oh, framework, let me rephrase that. These are three different perspectives on how you can sketch out your strategy of how you want to be building your startup community. So let's rephrase that. There is an asset framework, which I find incredibly helpful. You have an ecosystem maturity framework, which we'll get back to in a minute. What I really want to dive into is the engagement framework. And I want to say up front, yes, they stand alone. But if you want to do this well, you want to apply all three of these different perspectives in your work because that will give you a really good comprehensive 
six-dimensional look into your ecosystem. But the engagement framework is really, really interesting. You talk about developing and engaging different players in the ecosystem. And the first one you said is develop leaders. And I would have assumed develop entrepreneurs or founders would be the first one. But you're talking about leaders, which can get confusing for people because we always talk about no one owns this. And if anyone leads, it's probably entrepreneurs. But we still need some sense of leadership in order to get anything done. So why did you start with develop leaders and what's entailed in that one? Yeah, thanks for diving in here. This is one of my favorite places. And I've called them different things over the years. I think I'm calling them drivers now. But these seven <laughs> drivers are individual. And they're even somewhat in an order as if there's a linear line. And though there's some semi-implied linear shift to this, obviously these things take place simultaneously. But I lay these out because I think based on the maturity of your ecosystem, there's certain, certain drivers that you should focus on. All right, so there's the framework. Why kind of leadership first? So by the way, every ecosystem has leaders right now, whether they know it or not. Yeah. And maybe even call them influencers. I don't necessarily use the word leadership to be the president or executive director of the ESO right. or the head of entrepreneurship at the university or the economic development person that's in charge of entrepreneurship. They may be leaders. They may not be influencers. They may be one and the same. The issue is that, like it or not, they are setting, as well as the more active founders typically, um, they are setting the culture and the rules of engagement of how stuff gets done. And so if that's not optimized, if that's not done well, if that's done with the wrong intentions, that's more of a transactional kind of mindset than a give first mindset, then I think all the rest of it gets limited. So culture is a squishy thing and it's hard to see and touch and hard to frame, but that group has to kind of come together. And if it's not the right people, we need to elevate more people to that position, have them be more out front and active and let their actions behavior set the tone for how we're going to do this collaboration, give first, you know, the book's full of this stuff. You guys have heard most of this, but that's where it's got to start. And then we can start building the rest of it on top of it, in my opinion. Do you have an example of a good influencer to give people a taste for what that looks or feels like? Yeah. So I think about, and I won't use names because I actually can't remember them. But I think about a place that I'm in totally in love with called Birmingham, Alabama. Mm -hmm. And I visited there right before the pandemic. So it's a little bit dated, but I know I'm still in touch and I still things are going on. And there's a woman that was working for a startup and this startup had exited and huge for Birmingham. And uh, the founder, it was his second or third startup, wanted to make sure that his company still was giving back to the community. Mm -hmm. So he dedicated this a role and covered the cost for this woman to play kind of instigator, connector, coordinator. She was just my point of contact. But when I got in and spent a couple of days there, what I realized is this was a network that there was the mayor, there was people at the university, people in chamber and economic development, investors, um, other founders, who all were playing a role 
And each one of them, the image I use when I talk about complex systems is that group of birds, they're called starlings, mm -hmm. that are just moving in random but semi-coordinated manner. You need an image for complex systems, that's it. So what did this woman do? What did everyone do in Birmingham? They both had leadership roles and influence roles, as well as followers and support. They could wear those hats simultaneously. That's when it's working perfect. Sometimes I'm leading the group of birds, and sometimes I'm following all within a nanosecond, right? of changing. I have huge and high hopes and expectations for Birmingham because they were building a really solid cultural foundation. And I'll finish this. What happens to a new founder when they start getting engaged and they see this peer collaboration, no infighting, we love each other, we're supporting each other, how can I help you? They want to stay. If they don't see that, they're like, listen, I know it's better el elsewhere. I'm going to pick up and, and go yeah. to Atlanta or Raleigh-Durham or Nashville or LA or whatever it is. So that's why this leadership thing is so important. I think I gave you a squishy answer who's an influencer, but hopefully that, that was good enough. I think it's great because, as you mentioned earlier, the term leadership has such wrong connotations that it doesn't serve us in this context. So giving some examples makes it, helps us redefine leadership in the sense of entrepreneurial ecosystem building, which is great. Let me give you one more. I'm yep. so proud of this effort that I've been working on a couple of years. I'm one of the instigators, two people of Raleigh Durham Startup Week. That's right. We've run two of these so far, run in April next year. You know, went out and reached out to the people I knew and friends of friends and said, you know, would you help us in this volunteer effort? We had about eight or nine people the first year. We had about 18 people the second year. We're now up to about 24 to 26 people. Wow. Now, some of those people I didn't know three months ago or a year ago, we laid out kind of like our rules of engagement. Here's how we do things. None of us are charging. We're all, and if we sign up for something, we've committed to actually do it. If we signed up, we don't sign up. That's okay. Every task we have has two people on it, so they get to work together and collaborate. And all of this is based on complex systems and kind of chaotic organizations and just saying, let's let people do their thing. We'll yeah. support you, but here's kind of how we come together. And so those people, I consider them all like now leaders and influencers in Raleigh. And some of the people don't even know, but they're behind the scenes, making things happen, setting the right tone. Um, yeah, I'm pretty proud of that. As you should be. That's wonderful. Thank you, Chris. What I like about these drivers, and this is true both in the startup community way and the field guide, it makes sure that everyone knows what role they can play based on where they are in that moment, whether they are in higher ed, whether they want to be a mentor, whether they want to invest, whatever it is. And I think that's incredibly helpful, especially for players who are new to this or who are maybe used to the world of economic development and wonder how they can contribute as a corporation or as a government player and play their role in this. One thing that really stuck out to me, and I hope I don't ruffle too many feathers, is when you talk about mentors. I think everybody thinks having a mentor network is the greatest thing and the easiest thing because everybody, if you set the right tone, everybody wants to give back. But you actually make a very important distinction that I haven't had the words for until I read your book. And that is 
that yes, everybody has something to contribute. Most people have great experience and that maybe they've even started a company in the 80s or 90s. That doesn't mean they're going to be a great mentor. Tell me a little bit more about how you pick a relevant mentor and what are we going to do with the other ones that are in some other network for retired executives who want to give back? Well, as an old white guy, let's just say it out loud. <laughs> who started a company in the 90s? Old white guy who started a company 26 years ago. <laughs> I think I have the ability to actually weigh in on this. When I ran my first accelerator, I reached out to all my peers. And I remember um, I brought this guy in and this guy is the CEO of a $600 million technology company. And he's doing kind of an hour and I'm watching him and I'm watching all the, the cohort of founders and there is absolutely zero connection. Because A, this guy didn't start the company. And B, yep. the things that he knew and cared about as the operator, I mean, he was a charismatic and smart, but none of the things he thought about or did had zero relevance to me as a founder in the first year or three years of my journey. And so like a light bulb, I'm like, you know what? They're important, but they usually make the worst mentors. The best mentors are someone who's been on the journey similar to you, and maybe are no more than a year to four years ahead of you. In yep. fact, they still have the scars of all the challenges and tasks and problems that you're struggling with. That's the one piece of it. The other piece I tell people is, listen, don't not listen. Don't, don't not go connect with those people because maybe they do have something. Maybe they'll be an investor. Maybe their company will be your first customer. But Connect with them with an understanding that you as the founder are responsible for figuring out how to get good advice and good mentorship. Mm -hmm. It's less on the mentor's side, though I do do mentor development. I do mentor workshops, by the way. Wonderful. As part of my community building, teach them how to be better mentors. But you as the founder are responsible for getting information and processing it as effectively as you can. Yeah. And so in terms of mentorship, what I ask a simple thing for every founder, which is, When you, when you go to a mentor and you get connected, um, back to like connect first, right? Nodes on a network. When you connect and you have a challenge, ask the person sitting in front of you, have you ever been confronted with this in your career? And don't not listen to what they say, but if they say, no, I haven't, just weigh that a little bit less than someone who's been through it three times. And that's one way to say, I'm open to all mentorship. I'm just going to process it and weigh it a little differently based on the experiences that you've had and bring. That is such wonderful advice. Thank you, Chris. I'm, I'm glad we paused here and dove a little bit deeper into the mentor question. At this point in the book, I'm like, oh, this is good stuff. I can go implement this. This is really great. And then I turn the page and I find your ecosystem game plan for different stages of ecosystem maturities. And I was like, what? This is Amazing. So everyone who's listening, if you're not convinced yet, uh, this is the part where I think you should just go and buy the book because it's going to be very hard to explain visually on a podcast what this looks like. But I feel in this chapter is where everything you've talked about in the previous 140 pages really comes together. 
and says, and here is how you apply all of the things we just discussed succinctly depending on where your ecosystem is. And that has been beautiful. Give us a little bit of a taste for these game plans and and why they matter and, and why this is such a helpful tool for anyone who's looking to become involved in their startup ecosystem. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I agree with you that when I got to the organi- organization of the book and I got to this place, I'm like, ah, here's where it all comes together. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned our frameworks, the asset framework, um, the you know ecosystem maturity framework. If you've run that game plan and you kind of know where you're at, what you're missing, what you're good at, yeah. then you come to these seven drivers. Well, you can't do all seven of them at the same time. In fact, here's a really good example. If you develop an investor network and you start building investment capabilities, but you have no good founders or no deal flow, mm-hmm. those investors will be turned off, possibly never to come back, at least for yeah. the next five to eight years. So you can't have the capital be out front of the founders, right? That's that kind of semi-linear kind of seven driver kind of thing. So what I outline is that you have the ability to kind of gauge where you're at in terms of your the maturity of your, of your community and then say, based on that, here's kind of a rough kind of idea that you should spend kind of a lot of time on this and a little less of time on this. Don't not do it, but it's more like 5% versus 40%. And we even have pie charts. And so what I outline on those seven drivers, here where I, here's where I would focus most of my attention in the community until you start to grow out of that. And then you can start adding in some of these other things. The last example I'll give you is that like investors, if you bring your local corporations into a immature, not very effective community where they can't see great founders doing great things, getting great mentorship, even getting some money, they don't have time to help you build. They're going to kind of augment or upsize what you already have, but you yeah. don't. if you don't have anything, then they'll get turned off and they'll go back. Push those guys down the path a little bit. I think this is really insightful because how often do we feel like we should be doing it all and we should be doing it yesterday and we should be doing it all by ourselves? I found these game plans really helpful to help me prioritize Where am I really going to double down and build relationships? What can I hold off on for now? Because I know we're just not there yet to offer that stakeholder group true value. Even though I see it and I'm, you know, I'm certainly biased because I can see where things might be going, but it's just not the right time. And again, it just gave me some relief to say, oh, I don't have to worry about that just yet because we're not there yet. And that's a good thing, but I can focus my time on these three groups and do this part really well. And we will get to the next stage when we get to the next stage. Super helpful. Chris, one of my last questions is, you wrote the book, you've published it. Um, What are you excited about next? You told me that you just recorded the Audible version. So for everyone who's not a big reader, you can soon, do you have a date yet for when the Audible is going to be available? It's live. Well, wonderful. So when you're done with this podcast and you don't want to read the physical book, even though I think you might want to, so you can highlight and scribble notes and do other things, uh, you can just get it on Audible and listen to Chris himself read his book. But since the book was finished, what have you learned? What are you excited about next? Where is your journey taking you? 
Well, the best thing is the timing of this book post-pandemic is I get to kind of get back on the road and mm -hmm. talk about the book. I related to you before we got started. I was in Indianapolis uh, at a conference sharing this, you know, as a speaker, Greenville, South Carolina, Louisville, Kentucky, um, a few more dates coming up in the fall. But I'm an evangelist for this stuff. If you haven't noticed, I get excited by it. I love to geek out on it. A, I like to share with this because I think there's something to share that's valuable. But the other thing is every one of these stops, I also get to kind of peek in and go, so what's happening in your place? Yeah. What are you stuck on? Because there isn't one way to do things. And I don't know the right, right way for everyone to do. I kind of have these guidelines like a complex system. I can give you some kind of a North Star. I can kind of give you a, a couple of these frameworks that might help you get some momentum going. But, you know, they're all children. And so I love to see that. So I think over the next few months, there's that. And then I'm considering a couple like little white paper ebook compliments to it where maybe, you know, in the 200 some pages of, you know, I didn't want this to be a 400 page, you know, thumper. But and we a, thank you for that. We really do. Yeah, I want it to be it's great. consumable, right? Yeah. I think there's a couple deep dives that I'd, I'd like to do. So that's what I'm thinking about for the next, you know, six to 12 months. And then there's another book in there ready to come out. We'll see. That's fantastic. Chris, now that people are excited about the book and excited about what you do, how can they best connect with you and where can they go buy the book? Yeah. So books on Amazon and all the big sites, but Amazon is probably the easiest, hardback, paperback, Kindle, and now Audible. My website at Hively.com, spelled H-E-I-V-L-Y. You can see a lot about the books and a lot about the other things that I write. I probably have four to 500 blog posts. I write every week a blog now. Um, you know, 90% of it's around startup communities. So these are some little more detailed thoughts. Um, so you can join that mailing list. So you can email me at chris at buildthefort.com or you can go on the website. I do open office hours, um, six meetings a week. I have done it for 10 years doesn't matter who you are. You want to talk for 20 minutes, I'm all in. I had it this morning. I do them Tuesdays and Thursdays. You can find a slot right on my website. And I'd love to hear your story. And regardless of what you're working on, I, I'm, I look forward to connecting with you if that's uh, something of interest to you. Fantastic. Chris, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you for making the time to talk to me and share your thoughts with the listeners. Thank you also for writing this book. And thank you for doing what you do in the world of ecosystem building and startup community building. It was a pleasure to have you. Thanks, Annika. Find out more about Chris's work at Hively.com. That's H-E-I-V-L-I.com, where you can also sign up for his newsletter and even for his weekly office hours. Grab Chris's second book, Build the Ford, a startup community builder's field guide, where you get your books or get it on Audible. If you'd like for me to talk about ecosystem building for social change in your community, on your podcast, or at your event, please contact me at socialventurers.com. I pay my respect to the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, the Monacan, Shawanda Setula, and Monahawk people. I recognize their continuing connection to land, water, and community. I pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. This episode was produced by Yellow House Media. Thank you.